Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And tonight, we got a great episode for you. I say tonight because I'm recording this intro. It's nighttime. we got the Winter Olympics playing on the TV right here, and I'm in a, an Olympic kind of mood, which is great because today's episode is with Tyler Underwood. Tyler uh, qualified for the 2020 U.S. Olympic Trials and the Marathon this past December at CIM, the California International Marathon, by running a 218. And as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, this really isn't the place where we do those kinds of interviews, but Tyler has a pretty unique perspective on his journey to that level of success. He is someone who didn't run in college. That's right. He didn't run for a college team, and yet he qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon. It really is something that, you know, we had a similar interview uh, with Amanda Cruz a couple months back who had kind of a similar um, move from kind of a not non-athlete, but a non-runner into one of the best runners around. And Tyler has just a wonderful story. Um, He was a big-time tennis player growing up, and then while he was in college, uh, summer after his sophomore year. You'll hear all of this in the interview, but I'm so excited to talk about it. He ran his first marathon, didn't train a lot, ran 412. So he went from 412 and then, you know, within a decade, going down to 218. Not only did he do that, which is absolutely incredible, he did it without a coach, which is insane to me. I mean, I rely on a coach uh, heavily in my training, and who am I? I'm nobody special when it comes to running. Uh, Tyler is the opposite. He is a very special runner. So uh, we dive into that. We talk a lot about other influences influences he's had from his peers to his dad, his wife, a bunch of people. And we also talk about God as well. We talk about the, his, his faith and how that affects him um, in running. And this was a great episode. This is, uh, up to this point, the longest Rambling Runner podcast we've put out yet. We had just a great time uh, going back and forth uh, on this episode uh, related to Tyler really well, just as a person. He's just so easy to get along with, and I think you'll be able to see that right from the jump on this episode. We recorded this one with Tyler. Sorry for that pause there. I just want to say this right, because I am so thankful to everyone who's been reaching out to me on the podcast about potential guests. That is something that a lot of people have either DM'd me or messaged me on Instagram for. Uh, You can follow me at at rambling underscore runner on Instagram. I've gotten a lot of great ideas for guests from you, the listeners, and I've, I've loved it. And a lot of the guests that I've had so far in 2018 and some of the upcoming guests as well have come from suggestions from you. So thank you so much for doing that. I love the feedback. And shoot, because we're doing dedicated amateur runners here on the podcast, it's hard to keep track of interesting stories because these aren't people that are out there in Runner's World magazine or competitor or or this or that. So getting feedback from all of you really helps try to find some of the most interesting stories around. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And here is the interview with Tyler Underwood. Hello, Tyler and the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, hey. It's great having you on. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, it's my pleasure. And I've been excited to have you on ever since you killed it in December at the California International Marathon. You ran 218. My goodness, Tyler. Flying. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that is that is a heck of a time. And um, I guess first things first, going into that race, what was the uh, what was the plan for you? What was, what was the race day plan? Um, you know, honestly, the plan was pretty much exactly what happened. Um Oh, because that's always how it works out. Right. You know, it's it's always <laughs> like that. Um, it's it's very rarely how it works out. And I was up there really looking for the exact same plan and didn't have a good day. And this year it was just a, a vastly different story. So um, and it's pretty much just what I wanted. So what happened in 2016? Um, so I, I felt like I was in – 218 shape. I kind of wanted to hit a trials qualifier even before the window opened just to kind of give myself some confidence. I felt like I could get in that shape and it's kind of where I thought I was. Um, and then just on race day, it just didn't happen for me. I, um, just, I felt like I never warmed up. My quads felt heavy. I had kind of been dealing with some Achilles issues the few weeks leading up to it. And so, you know, I I can make all kind of theories about, (laughs) what was going on with my legs, but maybe they just didn't show up that day. And, um, and I ended up running 223 high, which is just 30 seconds off my, um, my PR at the time. And so, which wasn't terrible. Um, but, uh, it's, it's not exactly what I was looking for either. So, so going into that race, 2016, what, mm-hmm. what about your training, led you to believe that 218 was something that, that was kind of uh, in the ballpark of what you could do? Were there certain yeah. races or benchmarks that kind of led you to that point? Oh, um, definitely. I, I think as I progress and get in better shape and I, I get more fitness, it's, um, it's a lot easier to dial in kind of where I am fitness-wise and, um, and what I can expect. Uh, you know, when I was running uh, – in the 250s, I I would maybe say on a great day I can run 245, and um, and then I would run 255, you know, and it just I feel like it would maybe fall off a lot steeper and and heavier, um, but for the most part, just a few workouts are are pretty telling for me in the marathon phase. A few long workouts, and then I always try to do a good chunk of miles at pace and and see how I feel. Um, after that, that chunk at pace. And so before 2016, I I did 15 miles at, um, I want to say like right at 515 pace, which would have put me at 217. And I know that it's 11 more miles to go. So, you know, but I was feeling not at the end of myself at that. And so that was very, um, a, a confidence boosting workout and made me feel like I was there. So. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh-huh. You'd, you'd, you'd be right on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking back on it now, I guess you know you have like you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure. Would you change anything that you did and lead up to the two thousand sixteen race, knowing now what you were able to do in two thousand seventeen? Yeah, um, I think that fifteen. So I I've played around with my taper a little bit as well. I've entered some races where I felt like I was I was tapered off and fresh too early. And then I got to race day and I was just stale and had nothing left. And so I've kind of like looked at shortening a little bit. And um, last year, especially, I did that 15 miles at pace two weeks out from the race. And 
Um, it was just maybe a little bit too close, a little bit too much, even though I felt good in that workout and, and felt like I recovered from it. You know, maybe my legs were just still a little bit too heavy um, from that because it can take your body a few weeks to fully recover from a workout. So, um, so I think maybe I would, I would push that back a little bit. And, you know, honestly, that's, that's pretty much what I did, um, for this year, um, was, was push that workout, um, a little bit further out from the race. So, so did you do the 15 miler again? So this year I was planning on doing that 15 miler and I was a little bit more open-minded about it because I, I raced an 8k cross country, um, three days before. And so I raced on uh, either Saturday or Sunday, and then um, I did my I – was, I was going out for that workout on Tuesday, so two to three days maybe. And so my legs were definitely still feeling it from that. And so I, I, I went out there with an open mind, and I ended up doing about 11, which was not as confidence-boosting as, um, as the 15 was because all 11 were just very hard. Um, and – um, so at that point it was not a very good feeling, but at 11 or even up to like 18 in the race, a few weeks later, I was thinking, oh man, I, I feel better than I did at mile two of that workout. So this is, this is great. <laughs> oh, that is, that is fantastic. Yeah. And, and you talked about how in the 2016 CIM that, you know, at the 10 K mark, not 10K left, 10K in. Yes. You were like, you were flagging even uh-huh. at that point compared to like, you know, the, the people who you were running with. Right. There was a smaller group that year and, you know, it was maybe four or five guys and um, it, it was definitely very early to be to be feeling not good. And I, I thought that I, you know, was maybe just warming up into it and I would feel better at eight or 10 or, you know, and so I was hopeful um, because that can happen in a workout sometimes. You feel pretty cruddy. And then you just kind of stick to it and it comes back around. And so, you know, I was still kind of holding on to that at, at 10 K in, even though um, I couldn't even hang with this group that was running really great splits and a great pace um, for me, even uh, really like what I wanted to be doing. And so when that happened and I didn't even have any kind of pickup to, to go with them, it was kind of like, you need to, even if you are going to feel it later, you can't run over your red line right now um, because then you never will. So I knew what marathon pace was supposed to feel like, and I had just done it two weeks before uh, for 15 miles, and I knew how comfortable it was supposed to feel. Even in a, for a workout standard, it's a lot harder in a workout, and it's supposed to feel easier now. And so um, – I I just knew that there was this level that I I needed to stay at, and for that day it was it was in the low 520s, mid 520s even most of the time, and so um, I think maybe that's why I was able to salvage a 223 out of that race was just because um, I I didn't um, I didn't stick so closely to the plan early on because I just knew that 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 plan wasn't wasn't going to work, so. Now, was it hard to stay positive at that point in the race, knowing that so early on the goal that you had in mind that you felt was a reasonable goal was pretty pretty much out the window so early on? Um, oh yeah, definitely. It's uh, it was a long, long day for sure. Um, I I walked out of there like you know, obviously that day I was pretty disappointed. You put so much time into something, and 
it's just that's kind of one thing I love about the marathon is that sometimes if your legs don't show up, it just doesn't happen. You know, everything has to go well, and that's why it makes it so great when it does. And um, so for when it doesn't go well, it's just really – it's tough. It was tough on the road all day long knowing I wasn't running what I wanted to run. There were no guys around really. Occasionally somebody would pass me or I would pick somebody up. And um, and so I, you know, I just tried to run tough. And um, and it was a, a long day out there and, and really tough mentally and physically, just feeling like I was battling for so long for something that wasn't even um, going well at all. Um, but looking back at it, I I would say even just – Two weeks after that race, I would say, man, that was the, the toughest I've ever run a race. You know, I, I really hung in there a lot, and it, it took a lot of mental and physical um, strength during that whole race. And so I'm, you know, better for it, and um, I knew better days were to come. And so I'm glad that, honestly glad that I had a good day when the trials window was open um, as opposed to when it wasn't. So if I was going to have a bad day, that was that was an okay day to do it, I guess. There you go, and it's and it's amazing, right? That you can run a two twenty three marathon and call that a bad day. Yeah. Considering the fact that you weren't even a college runner. Right. I I definitely uh, consider that a, a blessing for sure, and I and I know that too. And um, so a bad day is it's relative to everybody, but I, I know that um, that that is definitely a blessing to call that a, a two twenty uh, a bad day. Yeah. So you you were a big tennis guy. Growing up, right? yes, yes, I was. I um, I ran in middle school, elementary school, and I knew I could run. And you know, I was um, one of the top in the county. You know, in in my in cross country in middle school. And where um, did where did you grow up? In uh, Tennessee, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Um, and so, just I started playing tennis late in middle school, and and I went out for the cross country team in ninth grade. And at that point, it just wasn't wasn't feeling it and I, I wanted to play tennis year round and get good at it. So for a long time, I would have called myself a tennis player much more than I um, called myself a runner and was coaching tennis. And, you know, I was every day at tennis and sometimes twice, you know, similar to, I guess what my running uh, schedule is at this point. So. Yeah. And there's, I think most people would look at tennis and say, man, that's a very different sport than running. Obviously, you're, you have mm-hmm. to be athletic. You have to be in shape. You have to be really right. fit. You know, Especially if you're in a youth tournament, you're playing multiple times in a weekend, and that can uh-huh. be a big grind on your body. Right. But at the same time, it's like it's one-on-one. It's very competitive. How you yes. do is directly compared to how well the other person is playing. Mm-hmm. But I would say that there is a huge correlation. I would basically counter that. And I'd love to hear your perspective because when I think mm-hmm. of someone who's great at tennis, first mm-hmm. thing that comes to my mind is the hours and hours of solo practice required to be good at tennis, which basically directly correlates to the hours and hours of solo miles someone would have to mm-hmm. put in to be the level of runner that you currently are. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, you know, most people would say that with any sport, there's a huge mental piece of the game. And, um, you know, starting to play tennis late in uh, middle school, I was 12 years behind these other kids who could barely walk and they had a racket in their hand. And um, and so that's, you know, where I thought I, I did well was the mental game. And um, And there are lots of times, you know, you just have to get out there and 
and hit a lot of tennis balls and, and groove strokes. And, um, and if there's nobody to hit with, then you're hitting buckets and buckets of serves and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So the, the disciplines and the, um, and all of those things that it takes to be really good at tennis, um, are definitely, you know, very similar um, to running and except running is a lot easier to do by yourself. Tennis, I, I would have to beg friends to go hit with me sometimes. <laughs> so you can just find a warehouse wall to hit against. Um, it, yeah, sometimes, but you know, I was, um, early high school. And so I, I couldn't, I was living in suburbs outside of Chattanooga right, and right. there was nothing, nothing close really. And so, um, it was more so, um, my dad, fortunately it was, he was a great runner and he was also, um, he would, he taught, you know, beginning, intermediate, advanced, uh, tennis classes as well. And he's similar to me that he can learn fundamentals to any sport and learn how to teach it. And so, um, as I got better and better, he got better and better at, at teaching it and hitting with me, you know, we, we both got good at tennis while I was playing a lot of tennis. And so, um, that was nice to get to, to hit with him a lot as well. And so, um, so that helped, but yeah, it's definitely not as easy. You know, I could, I can walk out the door even when I couldn't drive and I could run, which I still did a lot to stay in shape for tennis. So I think all of that definitely still helped me for where I am now with running. And I saw that your dad likes to joke around with you and say that he was a more talented runner than you are. I mean, how, uh, how, how, how good was he at his peak? Um, he, he was, um, uh, numbers wise, not quite as good as me, I guess his marathon, he only ran two marathons. Um, his first marathon, he ran a two thirty five, um, and that was his best one. And he was on, um, pace for a few other good ones and it, uh, never came around for him. Um, and so, uh, and he ran in college as well. So he had this really great base and, um, and then went into the marathon, um, and, and ran a great one right off the bat. And so I was, you know, completely the opposite. I was coming from having not really run competitively for a, a long time and then picked it back up casually. And I ran a 410 marathon for my first one. And that was, you know, I was light years away from where my dad even started his marathon career. So, um, but, uh, I've definitely surpassed him at this point. And, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what his five Ks were, his shorter distance stuff, um, I think he definitely has still got me the mile and all of those for sure. So I'll have to have to work on my speed to uh, uh, to take all those records away. So you were you're right around 15 minutes for the five k. What 15:07 outdoors and 14:56 on the track? Yes, um, that's exactly right. I've run 15:07 three times outdoors. Twice at Carlsbad 5000. Um, I crossed the line and the clock said 15.04. And then I, so I thought that was a three second PR and looked at official results later and it's 15.07. And so tied my PR there. And then in cross country this past fall, kind of early in the marathon buildup before I was really building up for the marathon, I, um, I ran on a cross country course and it was hilly and I ran most of it by myself and I ran 15.07 again. I thought, oh, man, wow. I, I wish I would have known I was running that fast. I would have, I would have pushed it a little bit at the end. Um, to uh, to squeak under a PR, so I'm overdue for a, a 5K PR, I think, and um, definitely on the track, I would like to go under under 14:30, and then maybe see if I can um, even press it a little bit more from there. Right, and then so so 
in your sophomore year of college, you signed up for a half marathon. You ran mm-hmm. that and then said basically to yourself, all right, I want to get into this marathon thing. You go out, you run a 410. Mm-hmm. What made you want to stick with it at that point? Because there's no way that you felt good running a 410 considering oh, yeah. your athletic base. Sure. Well, you know, where I was with running at the time, that was um, even when I ran the half marathon, you know, that was semi on a whim. And I was running just to stay in shape because I wasn't playing tennis as much. And I always kind of ran a, a little bit here and there. So, you know, I had like a a, a decent base um, to go out and run a half marathon. And um, I just uh, that was in uh, late March. And I we split and I went into the finish and I watched all these guys going the other way to run another half. And I was like, Oh man, I just need to be a full marathoner. And I've always been uh, uh, more partial to longer distances anyways, and the endurance side of things. And so I signed up for a marathon that weekend that was a month out. And so I was very, no way as far as turnaround. Yeah. So I, you know, I called my dad and I was like, do you think I could finish it? And he was like, you could finish it. And so I, you know, I did, I did two long runs that month, just tried to stay on my feet for, three hours and um and then i just yeah i went over i went over to nashville to to just to get one under my belt kind of you know and um i ran a a 410 and um knowing how untrained i i was and that that was just really on a whim and if i put some training in i could make some huge um chunks off of that time and so i uh I did the exact same race the next year with the goal of taking a full hour off. And at the time that would have been a Boston qualifier under 310. And so that was kind of my, my goal for that whole year was, um, qualify for Boston. So that was easy to have things. There's always a next step with me. So it didn't matter that I started so slow. It was just, you know, I, I knew that I had so much more potential and I, I wanted to kind of see what that was. So did you get it? I didn't. The very next year, I ran the same race. I ran a 325. Um, I remember kind of being a little bit injured going into that race. I think I actually wore like a knee brace um, on my knee during that race. And so, you know, a big chunk off. And then the next year, I ran um, a marathon, and I ran 307. And so at the time, that was a a Boston qualifier. Um, and then even when I ran that, you know, I cannot immediately say, you know, I can run a lot faster and I don't want to run Boston until I can run under 245. So I kind of made that goal for myself, like you can run under 245, um, which would have been a, a, another huge step. And so that was kind of where my eye was for a long time, was getting there before I let myself go to Boston and run. So you qualify for Boston at what, age 22, age 23? Roughly. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So what what about getting under 245 um, before you actually ran the race? Why was that something that you targeted as, as a personal goal? Um, you know, maybe it was just I was dumb and thought that it would be easier to get to under 245 because, honestly, it wasn't very easy. Um, I, I don't know. It's just the number that I had in my head that I thought, you know, you can you can do that. Um, and, um, I think, you know, maybe I had, I had known that my dad ran 235 and so I was like, you you know, I just knew that that was, I was capable of it, I guess. And so it was just a big goal to have. So, 
Right. And speaking of big goals, you, you spoke about um, a friend of yours, James Gale, mm-hmm. and how he had a big impact on you as a runner, I think around the mm-hmm. same time. Um, and it's, it's funny to hear, to, you know, to read your words on this subject, because talking to you now, you're such a humble guy, you know, <laughs> you really, you really have this, you really Thanks. have a whole running thing and, you know, in, in, a, in a certain perspective. And I mean, if I was running 218, I'd be, That'd be the cockiest SOB you ever met in your life. But so, so I can appreciate yeah. the humbleness. Um, but at the same time, I'm reading this article and it says, you know, you talk about how he was a big influence on you because you were too arrogant as a runner. These are your words. Uh, too arrogant yeah. for a runner, especially for a 253 marathoner. When you when you said that, what, what exactly did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so I met James working when I was in retail at Roadrunner Sports. Um and we we're both working retail and um, he had been injured. So hadn't run for a while. And he was, you know, uh, he had gained a little bit of weight and didn't look like a, um, a runner by any means, really, or not like a very fast runner. And at the time, right, he looked, I he was, looked like me. You can just say it, Tyler. He looked, he like, looked me. like a, he looked like a regular <laughs> guy, you know? Um, and, you know, he didn't look like he didn't run. But he he didn't look like he had run faster than me, you know. Yeah. And at, and also at the time, I I was faster than all my friends who didn't run. You know, I ran, I had run two fifty three, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so fast, blah blah blah. blah. Um, and so I had all these people pumping me up, and I wasn't around this crowd that was running two thirties for their first marathon or two twenties, you know. And um, I just um. I don't know. I wasn't in the running community the way that I am now. I was just kind of out there running on my own with a Timex watch, no Garmin, no Strava, no nothing like that. I was just out there running. Um, so one of the, f- the first conversations I remember with James, you know, I was like, he asked me if I was, if I ran and I was like, yeah. And he was like, are you fast? And I made this is even at the time is very unlike me. And I said, I'm faster than you. And he kind of perked up and he was like, really? Um, and I guess he assumed that I knew what his run, his times were. Um, and at the time I was, a I was a two fifty three marathoner and I had just run a one eighteen half marathon as a big PR for me. Um, and, and he was like, really blah, blah, blah. And we kind of got to talking and he had run a one Oh eight half marathon, um, and a, and a two twenty three full marathon. And so, um, and and ran in college, was a great college runner, you know, um, under 15 minutes on, in the 5K. And um, and so I was like, oh, man, like, what was I thinking, saying something like that, you know? And so – and just to, to hear him um, talk about – you know, because he had been around a lot of guys who were a lot faster. And I think that that's what makes it easy to be humble is, um, is there are still lots of guys up the road on me at CIM that are – um, working full-time jobs and, and running faster than me. And so it's, it, I don't feel like I'm anything special anymore, you know? And so, um, but he was very influential and I had an exercise science degree and so did he. And it was, he just, you know, kind of explained things to me that I already knew, but, um, but kind of pieced it together a little bit more. And he had been there before and was like, you just need to run more mileage and this and that. And like, you're ready for this and you're ready for that. And just help me piece together my own training. And it was a huge influence um, for that season. And so um, I, at that point I had been around 245 shape and I was, I was going for 
240 at New York Marathon. And then by race day, I knew that that was still too slow to go for um, because my fitness had just progressed so much um, over the summer. And I ended up running 236 and just blowing both of those goals out of the water. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what that, a great time. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. And, and with, I don't know, sorry to cut you off there, but I'm curious, oh, no. what about, what, what exactly did he illuminate for you that you were kind of on the precipice of understanding, but weren't mm-hmm. quite there? Um, I was doing a lot of medium to hard effort running. Um, never really any speed work. You know, I would just go out and run and it was hard for me to run easy. And because of that, I, I wasn't doing any runs in between. And, you know, and so we started talking about aerobic capacity and how you build that and how you build the mus- muscular strength and endurance. And, um, and just you got to really dial it back on easy days and, and go out there and run easy for the purpose of recovering and for the purpose of your aerobic capacity. And so that was one big thing that, that I, I really changed. And I, I started running um, easy, easy days. And then my hard days got harder, and I started doing speed work really for the first time ever. I never really did structured speed work at all, um, and my tempos, tempo workouts were a lot more structured. I started reading up on some other things, you know, as I am reading up on speed workout and tempo workouts, and still, so I started incorporating those in, into long workouts as well, and um, it all just it started to click and started to piece together a whole lot, and so it was very a very uh, influential time and a, just a turning point in, um, in the way I, that I saw that I could train um, and be a lot more diligent and a lot more uh, purposeful in my training. Um, and it helped me just, um, yeah, just put purpose into every day. And I was actually running, you know, almost every day at that point uh, where before I would run, maybe four days a week, but, um, but everything was kind of a medium effort and I, I wasn't getting nearly as far. Yeah. That seems to be a common theme with a lot of the runners that I talk to in terms mm-hmm. of their ability to kind of reach the next level. You know, mm-hmm. you, you were work at the Roadrunner sports store out in San Diego, their flagship store. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know me included, what is the running community like in that area? Cause I know it's, it's such a hotbed for endurance sports. Like what, what was right. the community like that you were able to ingratiate yourself into? Um, you know, because like out here, just for example, like someone who could run a two thirty six marathon, like you did at New York that year, mm-hmm. you know that that's rare company here in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Now up in now up in Boston, you know, an hour hour and a half away, there, there's there's a number of people who can do that. There's right. a lot of good track clubs, but just to put to put in perspective, where does that fall in in the San Diego scene? Yes, um, there's there's really good running in San Diego. Um, there's uh, a, plenty of good runners throughout California that if you're going to a, a regional race, um, you'll, you'll meet some really good runners. Um, and even just in local series, um, I, I'm, I'm not winning every race. It's not like I'm blowing everybody out of the water. Um, I joined a, a local team, which when I was 236, there was a handful of guys who had run right around there or faster. Um, and a couple other guys joined that were just as fast or faster than me. And so we're all kind of running and training on the same team. And so that was a, a really good step for me and, um, just to kind of get involved with Prada racing team in San Diego. And, 
um, San Diego Track Club has tons of runners and uh, and a good team as well, and um, and you know it has a history of of having great runners. You know, Meb is um, from San Diego and um, still lives and trains in San Diego, and um, his coach Bob Larson um, coached the Hamul Toads out out here, and so it's just the Hamul Toads are still a team locally and um, and and run, and so just a, a definitely a, a history of lots of good runners and so I'm I'm nothing new here and I'm I'm nothing really special there's there's plenty of guys who have run what I've run and so it, it kind of makes it easier to um, to look for next steps and to look to to do even better and um, yeah now is that a motivating factor for you in terms of you see all these good runners around you I know for some people they like being you know, the big fish in the small pond and other people like being mm-hmm. the small fish in the big pond, it can draw motivation from it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a huge motivator for me. Um, and, and really I think when I learned that I wasn't such a big fish, it was a lot, you know, I had a lot more to look for, you know, a, a big fish isn't, isn't trying to get any bigger. Um, and you know, you might, you might feel like something, um, but I think that was um, that was like a, a real blessing to me to um, to see that I, I wasn't such a, a big fish, you know. When I when I stepped out of my friend group, who all thought I was so fast, and I met a lot of people who were just as fast or faster than me, you know, it was it was easy to to work a little bit harder and to put a little bit more time into it and. Um, and to, to press for more. So I think I, had I never known that or realized that so many people were running so much faster, I might be content with being a, a 242 marathoner and uh, maxing out right there. And then, you know, I, I, in running a 253, I remember thinking, if I ever run a 245, I'm just going to hang it up right there. Like, that's <laughs> it. Um, and Instead, when I ran 2:36, I, I said that day I was like, I'm going to run a lot faster. I uh, know that I've got a lot more in me, and um, I even said to my dad that day when I ran 2:36, even though I was very far away from a trials qualifier, that I was going to try to make it for the the 2016 trials and see if I could get in shape by that time. So, I love it. I love the big goals. I love the fact that you're going out there and, and working hard to get them. And, and you obviously did get it. And we'll talk about CIM in a little mm-hmm. bit, but. At that point, so, so you finish 236, you're, you're talking to your dad. You're like, all right, I'm going full speed ahead here, right? I am going to – I'm, I'm going to try to be literally the best runner at this distance that I can be. I'm going to put, mm-hmm. put put all my eggs in that basket. Mm-hmm. And yet – and I'd love to hear just, just your explanation on this because I think it's, uh, it's just an interesting thing is that yet you never got a coach. So what about – going all in and then wanting to kind of be your own coach during this process right. for you was that obviously it worked out well. I mean, shoot, you just ran mm-hmm. 218. I'm not second guessing it on any level, mm-hmm. but, it's, yeah. but, it, but it certainly is an interesting perspective on how to kind of get the best out of yourself. Sure. Um, I, I think there's a few different things that, that go into that. One was I just felt like I, I was improving so quickly and so well and what I had was working for me. You know, I, I had a schedule down. Um, I had run 80 miles a week for almost two months before New York. And so I, I could even look at my schedule and say, you can piece a little bit more in here and a little bit more in here. And, 
um, and, and build and grow on it. And so that was one thing was just, I felt like I could, could gain so much, um, on my own and maybe, and I've, I've kind of always said, you know, if I, if I get to a point where I'm not progressing and I, I feel like maybe there's something more I've got in me, but I, I can't do it for myself, then maybe I'll, I'll hire someone and, and work with someone. Um, but also I, I'm just a student of the sport. I, I started reading a lot of things. Um, you know, I would read really simple things like, um, like very basic descriptions of, of speed workouts and tempo runs. And, um, and then I would, I would read the science behind things. And, um, and so I think that really helped out too, was just gaining a lot of knowledge about how other people have done things and why they've done it this way, because your muscles work like this. And, um, and that really helped out. And so I was just, gaining knowledge and applying it and it just kind of it kept working for me and you know I've still seen a lot of progression and so at this I was actually thinking about that the other day and at this point um, I wouldn't necessarily look to a coach to do all of my training for me you know I don't need anybody to to write down go do a 10 mile easy run on Tuesday Um, I would just kind of look at maybe I would just need a second set of eyes on, on the training and, and making sure that I, you know, what I'm seeing is the same as what they're seeing and, and I'm not missing anything, you know, just to squeeze every little percentage out that we can. Right. And then for you, when you have either a down day or a down week, or if you're just, mm-hmm. you know, want, want someone to talk to about your training, mm-hmm. is there, who, who do you lean on in those moments? Cause I know that people at any running level, have those mm-hmm. periods where they just, you know, they want to talk it out or, you know, Definitely. there could be a million different motivations for a reason why, but you can't just be completely insular about the process. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am, am definitely very blessed to have a lot of people in my life um, to talk to. Um, my wife, um, which most people would know me better if, if you knew that my wife was track club babe. Um, and, um, <laughs> that, that, well, that, that, that's her Instagram handle. Also another, uh, another, uh, rambling runner podcast guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's, she's really great about, um, not only it's not that she lets me talk about my workouts and about my training, but she wants to hear it. She wants to hear splits and she wants to hear how things are feeling and, um, and she relates to it and I can relate to her training as well. And, um, my dad, um, he wants to, he wants to hear every split and how they felt and, you know, like what I was thinking and, and all that stuff, he eats it up. Um, and so that's, that's definitely, um, and I love to, to talk about it too. And so I'll get done with a tempo workout on Saturday and be driving home and just call him and, all right, I just did a workout. You want to hear him? And he's like, yeah, let me hear it. So, um, oh, that's great. And, and I've got, you know, um, I've got teammates that, you know, like to hear it as well. And, um, there's other coaches that I know that I can bounce things off of. And so, um, I don't necessarily work with a coach, but there's a lot of knowledgeable people around me that if I need to, to ask a question or get their advice on maybe what's the next step here and there, you know, there's plenty of people to, to ask. Right. Now you are, are you still part of the Prado racing team? Yes. Okay. All right. Got it. And now is that, a, is that a regional team out in San Diego? Uh, yes, it's a San Diego-based um, 
most are in North County, San Diego, where um, where I was living just a, a few years ago. So, yeah. Got it. All right. So going into 2017, CIM obviously was a big one for you. It was mm-hmm. the Marathon National Championships. Here you are. You've run the course before. You're a California native at this point, even though you grew up in Tennessee. So obviously mm-hmm. you were pumped up for this race. So what was mm-hmm. going into the fall? The race was the first weekend in December. So going into the fall, what was your training plan looking like? And I want to first focus on your decision to go with uh, single runs instead of going with doubles like you had in the past. Sure. Um, single runs was mainly just um, like a schedule thing. Um, I, um, well, Kimberly and I got married last December, right after I ran CIM last year. And so just, you know, I wasn't going home, um, to my own place and eating something quick anymore and, and like late and going to bed. And so there, you know, it's just, I kind of like less time for that, that second run. Um, and, um, just, I guess a, a busier schedule. And so I just wanted to, um, to get runs done in the morning and, and not have to worry about it at night. It's a little bit more efficient if you can make it work, I guess. And so, um, it was more of a scheduling thing, if anything, as opposed to a, um, a, a physiological thing. Um, so I just started to, as I added miles, instead of, taking one run down a little bit and adding another full run in, I would just, I would just kind of bump all of those runs up pretty gradually until I was running, you know, about 90 minutes in the morning, um, plus a long run. And then, um, a little bit more once or twice a week. And for in a 90 minute run, how long would that, so if you're doing an easy run, how long would that be? And if you're doing something, mm-hmm. you know, maybe an aerobic run, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of my um, my morning ninety minute runs were, um, you know, I would I I, I kind of go on time sometimes and and I go on um, on distance and I really for accountability I like to look at the distance at the end of the week and so I make sure that I'm on track to do that most of the time and so. Um, uh, somewhere between 13 and 14 for an easy run would be a little bit more than um, than 90 minutes, uh, maybe like 95 minutes, um, depending on how tired I was. You know, some days I would just kind of feel good, and you run a little bit faster at the same effort, and um, you get done. But it's it's always within a, a few minutes of each other, I guess. And um, so morning runs uh, were were somewhere around 13 to 14, um, and then I was doing my long run on a weekday and, um, and that was two plus hours most of the time. Um, so, um, and then on weekends, I, uh, Fridays I would tend to run maybe a mile or two longer and at a little bit faster of a pace. And so I could get in, um, 15 and maybe just, uh, I don't, I don't want to like say that wrong in case I'm, that my math is off, but I would, it feels like it was 15 in around 90 to a hundred minutes, but, uh, maybe it, it wasn't. So that was like a, a medium long run. So would you, I know it's, everyone has different schedules and you might not want to get mm-hmm. into, into details on this. I know every runner has their own, their own mm-hmm. feelings on how, how detailed they want to get in terms of sharing mm-hmm. their, 
sharing their sure. workout plans. Sure. But um, would you go two two hard workouts, like say like two interval workouts or a week, or would it be more of like one interval workout, one tempo, one long run, or what would be a normal right. structured week for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so starting out when I started running higher mileage, that was the first structure that I put in. Was I would do a long run every week. Um, and that's when I was working in retail, especially I had maybe like a Tuesday, Thursday off work and I worked through the weekend. Um, and so on my off days, I was doing hard workouts and or doubles. And so, um, my long run has always looked a little bit harder than an easy run. And I call it like a half a workout. So, uh, maybe just like a, a steady state pace in the second half, just to add a little bit of effort, um, and then I put in a speed workout, which is always kind of in the middle of the week um, and would vary, you know, different seasons or different schedules. But um, two days apart from each other, for sure, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, something like that. Um, and then tempo run on Saturdays with the team um, is, is pretty standard. Um, so I would incorporate all of those. And then when I get closer to the marathon, um, I switch it up a little bit and um, seven weeks out, five weeks out, and three weeks out from the marathon, my my long run becomes even harder, and it's marathon specific. And I'm I'm really pushing at the end of the run, really trying to simulate this slow burn that happens in the marathon, and getting used to really just letting it slowly burn for a long time, um, and then pushing at the end. And so, um, because those workouts are specifically hard, I would cut speed workout, or maybe do like a a half a speed workout, some um, like quick strides or pickups or something, but nothing really taxing um, and not work out for another four days. So I'd do three or four days of easy running. Um, so that's kind of how that changes. And then the next week it, I would go back to a speed workout, but my long run would be a little easier. So, yeah. And I've heard you in the past stress how you have spent a lot of time you know, for lack of a better phrasing, things, which I know is something that not a lot mm-hmm. of people do. And mm-hmm. it was one thing where I had Matt Fitzgerald on the podcast a month uh-huh. ago. And when he was tra- when he was practicing with the Hoka 1-1 group, right. um, you know, the, the NAZ elite down with uh, Ben Rosario's team mm-hmm. in Arizona, but that was one of the things that even he who was, you know, he's been around the sport for, you know, decades now, mm-hmm. you know, has, has talked to every major endurance athlete, whether it's running or triathlon along the way. And even he was, you know, really got into more of these, you know, the, yeah, as I said before, the little things, sure. you know, whether it was the core, the strength, the stretching, all the mm-hmm. ancillary items that he got really involved with them much more so in, uh, in his training with that group. And he really thought it was beneficial and he was surprised at how beneficial it was. Um, he takes a deep dive on that in his blog. And it mm-hmm. sounds like you are a big proponent of that as well. Definitely. Um, that's just, um, I, again, maybe that was, that was some of James Gale's influence. Um, and just, um, as I started to run, when I started to run higher mileage that season, um, in 2013, I, I kind of, I remember just saying to myself one day, like, if you're going to do mileage and run more and put this per like this purpose into training and, um, and structure it, then you need to be doing these other things that, that runners are doing too. And, you know, and so, um, it was just kind of a, another 
natural piece to to throw in there with this newfound diligence that I had for running. And so um, I, I've been better at it in some seasons uh, than others for sure. Um, but I definitely notice a difference. Um, and especially early on in the season, like right now, coming back from the marathon and uh, for a lot of my runs feel pretty cruddy still. And, um, and I just, I focus on that kind of stuff to just build that strength back because that can cut down on, on minor injuries a lot. Even when I wasn't running a whole lot, I would, I would still get injured a lot more than I do now. And I, I think some of that is just your body builds a, um, a little bit more of a resistance to smaller injuries. But I think a lot of it too is that I'm just strengthening those secondary muscles and stabilizer muscles and, um, and, you know, it, it just kind of tightens everything up a little bit. So the little things don't flare up as much, you know? Right. And what are some of those exercises and strength work that you do that you feel like get the most bang for the buck? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first thing definitely is, um, is hip exercises really, really simple. Like, um, uh, like anything working, I mean, you can like Google, uh, hip adductor exercises and I do them with no weight. So I'm on all fours and lifting my leg up like a, like a peeing dog. I, I, that's what I call it, like the <laughs> fire hydrant or whatever you want to call it, but that's the best way to describe it, I guess. Um, but it, it really, it works, you know, glute muscles and hip adductor muscles, uh, or sorry, abductor muscles. And then, um, hamstring muscles, you know, uh, I call it like a donkey kick where you're still on all fours and you just, you slowly kick back and, um, or raising up your leg at a 90 degree angle to really kick up and really work those glutes and hamstring muscles, which for runners are, are notoriously weak and not firing. And, um, so we, we really have to work to, to make sure those muscles are working. And, um, yeah, I, I can tell a lot of times just in trying to feel what's going on in my body when I'm running, I, I can tell when, when those muscles aren't doing what they need to be doing. And I've kind of got a hitch in my stride and, um, any kind of past injury will, um, illuminate those more. And, um, and so just all the more reason to make sure those muscles are, uh, are really working. Yeah. See, that gets me inspired to start doing these things. I do none of those. I do none of that stuff. But yeah. I, and I have no, I have no real reason not to, I guess right. I'm always just like, Hey, I'm running, you know, mm-hmm. go me. Yeah. I was like, that's basically it. Yeah, it's really, you know, I, I started doing it, um, just a few exercises, and I'll mix it up, too. It's not like every day I have a, a perfectly set routine, but, um, you know, 10 minutes after your morning run um, would would really do it, and you can get a lot done in 10 minutes, and really simple core work, you know, just to make yourself do a one-minute plank, and then a on front and on both sides, you know, can go a long way if you're doing that two to three times a week. So I would even, I would even encourage most people to, if it's really like a time crunch thing, you know, we, we all kind of get in that, like, Oh man, I got to get to work. Um, and so you're just kind of hurrying back to the house to shower and make sure you have time and whatever. And, um, but I would, I would think that cutting 10 minutes from your run and doing that 10 minutes of core and just different exercises and strengthening things can go a, a long, long way for people. 
All right. I'm right. I'm sold. I'm sold okay. on this, Tyler. You got it. All right. I'll All check right. in with you and see if you're doing them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 2017 CIM. All right. So you're going mm-hmm. into the race. You had the same goal as you had the previous year. Mm-hmm. You, as you talked about, you had your, your one of your big uh, you know, prep runs. You, had, you ran 11 miles at the pace you were hoping to run, but it mm-hmm. was a struggle for you. Struggle. Yes. Course, it was harder than it was the previous year. So going mm-hmm. into race day. How would you compare your confidence to reaching the goal compared to the compared to 2016? Yeah. Um, oh, in some ways, I was uh, I was more confident. You know, I, I had um, that that 11 miles was a little bit. You know, I would have at least liked to get through halfway in that workout um, and feeling okay. Um, and I think, you know, I, I started, I actually did like 11 and a half miles. And so even from like seven or eight in that workout, I was thinking like, just get to, you know, keep getting down the road a little bit. You got to, um, get more than this. And I was just pushing towards 11 and then at 11, I actually felt okay. And I was kind of doing all right, but I decided to cut it because I didn't need to go all the way into the well just to get to the halfway point and say, okay, I've done it halfway. Um, so having hit the halfway point at a good split in a workout the year before was definitely a lot more of a confidence booster and a little bit of a feeling like it was a setback this year, but, um, you know, you just got to take everything in context and, and not freak out about any one workout, um, a week before that or two weeks before that, um, I did this progression long run. And it has never worked for me. Um, I've tried it before multiple different marathons. And my last marathon buildup, I cut it out because it was just like, this one doesn't work. I'm doing something different. And I did a different hard long run. Um, and for whatever reason, I decided to go back to it this time. And while I didn't quite do what I wanted to at the end of that workout, I did way better than I ever have in that workout um, in this buildup. And so that was – and I was by myself, and it was windy and rainy that day. And I still did pretty well. And I had a handful of other workouts that were very solid. And nothing is like mind blowing. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I, maybe I'll run a 215. Like, there's nothing like that. But the whole build up in itself, I could take that one run out and say I'm in better shape and I have a better chance at it this year than I than I did last year. So overall, I was I was uh, more confident, I would say going into the race and now in 2016 you had as you mentioned before a group of four or five guys that you were mm-hmm. running with early in the race mm-hmm. this year obviously the field for men and women were just stacked so mm-hmm. did you have a good handle on the people that you uh, either planning on running with or who you thought you might be running with yeah well a little bit um i knew that the field was going to be really great i knew that it was going to be better than last year um there was a little bit of worry in me that um, that, and I and I knew a handful of the guys that were going. Um, one of which who had he had run a trials qualifier at CIM before, and he ran um, two seventeen this year, so he ran a, a big PR this year. Another guy ran two twenty one just up the road from me last year, um, and he ended up running two seventeen this year as well. So another big PR for him. Um, and kind of knew of, and I'll, I'll like research here and there, like, um, what some guys had run, but 
you know, that doesn't tell you too much. I was a 223 guy going into the race. And so anybody looked at my name, they were like, well, that's not a guy I'm going to be running with, you know. So you can maybe get a, a feel, but there's also this fear that um, that these guys are just going to run too hard up the gradual hills and that I won't want to run that effort level and maybe they'll run too much on pace and not enough on effort. And I didn't know what the pacing was going to be like. And so on one hand, you want a group to stick into um, and you, and then on the other hand, you don't want to go too fast. you got to, regardless, there's always going to be some decisions to be made um, in, in the race itself. Um, and you can only play it out in your mind so much beforehand. So, and for you, when, when, did you have to start making tough decisions in 2017? Um, so I, I guess I should take my statement back. You normally have to make tough decisions <laughs> in a race, and I really didn't feel like I, I had to. You know, um, the first mile, there's lots of people up there, and you're trying to feel the pace, and um, the first mile is downhill, and then you have this big uphill. And um, around mile, like, right at the mile mark or right afterwards, mile two, this group just kind of formed. It just came together. And I, and I looked around and I was just in it and I thought, this is, this is the group that I want to be running in. Um, and hoping that they, that this is the group that would run good splits too. Um, and the guys that were running on the front of this pack just ran really great splits, really great effort. Um, and the pack was so big that I would be, in the very back of it, you know, I might be three or four seconds behind the guys in the front, but it's just a big group and you never feel like you're out of it. And so that makes it a lot easier. Um, and, um, so, I mean, we just ran in that pack and I just made sure that I kept contact with them, whether I fell back a little bit at an aid station or, and I never went forward. I was just always right in the middle of it and I didn't leave, I didn't leave the pack for a step all day. Um, and at mile 15, I was, I was still kind of like stepping on some guy's heels, not literally, but right there with them and thought, you know, you're, you're feeling great and they're still running great splits and you can just turn your mind off. They're not going to go too slow. They're running just what you want to run. You don't have to worry about them going slow and moving ahead or anything. Just run with this group. And it was, um, yeah, it's it great to just – I tacked onto him until it, it completely – it slowly fizzled and then was obliterated at about mile 22. Now, has that ever happened to you before in a marathon? Have not that, even close. That, oh, okay. Yeah, not definitely not that big, you know. Um, and I've run in some groups for a few miles here and there, but it was just – there's a lot of camaraderie in this group. You know, these guys are, most of us have bottles on course. And so we're all trying to get to our water bottles every 5K. And most of our water bottles are on the very last table because we're not in the elite A group. We're in the elite B group. And so they're all bunched up. And so 30 guys have to get to their one bottle on, on this one table. And um, it was just... Um, people working together, you know, people saying that there was an aid station coming up, people saying that, you know, letting other guys into this line as we all string out to get right next to the table and then all bunch back up again. Um, plenty of like talk between the guys early on, sharing water bottles, all of that stuff. You don't see it a whole lot. And um, you see it in lead groups. If you're to watch 
the front pack of a major marathon, you would see the same kind of things most of the time, like guys passing water bottles around. And it was really, really, absolutely just so much fun to be a part of and um, to to have that many guys band together and work together for so long, um, all trying to run, you know, basically the exact same thing. So it was it was definitely very special and nothing I've, I've uh, been fortunate to experience in, until this year. Right, because you have the group that's trying to get to 215, right, the A standard, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the group that wants to make sure that they're under 220 for the B mm-hmm. standard. Under and, under 219. 219, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And so you said that the group stuck together till mile 22. So what happened at mile 22? Mm-hmm. So um, I would say within the, the second half, at, the, at halfway we were definitely have a, a big group, almost 30. Um, and maybe two or three guys moved up the road, two or three guys who weren't running in our group came back, um, and, and then slowly started to fizzle where I would look around and think, oh man, this this actually isn't a huge group anymore. And, oh man, we're like, what are we at? Like 10 now. And, you know, I'm just still sticking in it and, oh, we're at like six. And, um, and so I, I think we had like six or seven guys at, um, at the, at the 22 mile mark and, um, and a couple of guys just started to move up the road and we're feeling really good. And even at 21, I would say I was feeling good. Um, not excellent, obviously, but for, for being at mile 21, I was feeling good. Um, and they moved up just so slightly and it, and I didn't have in me to go with them. Um, and, that's just when, when all of us kind of broke up and um, separate just, you know, by 10 feet, but it feels like a long, long way when you can't get back up to them anymore. And um, I still ran 23 on pace and felt like I was running a lot slower because they were, were moving up the road. And what was on pace for you? Like, what, what, what was the average pace? So mathematically, it's 517 is, is what you have to hit, uh, or five somewhere around in there, 518, um, to go under uh, 219 and qualify. But um, I know that last year the course for me ran a little bit long. Nobody's tangents are perfect. And, um, and that, you know, that point one could be an extra 30 seconds. So you could think that you're running – um, 218.50 pace, and you're actually running 219.20 on the course, you know. And so I was thinking going into the race, we really need to be right around 515 pace to um, to actually have a, a good shot at it. So how conscious of you – I'm sorry, how conscious of your time were you in these last couple miles? Um, I was – I tried to be very conscious. Um <laughs> But in the marathon, later on, you know, your your mind stops working so much. You're not getting a whole lot of blood to your brain. And um, and it's tough to do math at that point. You know, I, I knew that at halfway we had banked X amount of time. I stepped on the mat at 108.30, and so that was um, 217 flat pace. And so, you know, I had banked two really, I guess, like two minutes technically um, pace-wise. And... You know, then it's hard to say, oh, well, we did that through 22 and 23, so how much time is that that we're ahead now if we were on the same pace? And 
you can't do all of that. And so basically I, I looked down in the last couple of miles and, and each mile was a little bit slower starting at 20, um, after 23 and went through 23 and 24 slower and slower. And by my awful late race math, I thought that I had missed it unless I ran another mile at goal pace, which I was not doing. <laughs> just, 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 just so I can humble myself even further. Okay. What, what was your mile 24? You know, the, basically the slowest mile you'd run in that marathon. Uh huh. Um, so 24, I believe I, I ran, um, oh man, I don't know off the top of my head anymore. 524 maybe. Um, and which was, you know, nine seconds slow. So not a whole lot. Um, and then mile 25 was, um, um, was my, was 530 something low 530s maybe. And I so, love it. That, that was the pace I ran my like 800 steps. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm loving this. This is hysterical. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So, so when you finish that mile 25, like mm-hmm. you said, you at first thought that, hey, I'm, I'm going to be riding the cusp or maybe I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. So what was the feeling like for you as you as you kind of approached the finish line and you had the realization that, hey, hold on, I was wrong. Yeah. So that was to the to mile 25, and then I still had 26, so I still had a mile to go. Um, and so looking at it there, also – because of tangents and things like that, my watch is beeping at a different spot as the mile marker. And so on one hand, I'm looking when my watch beeps to what was, what did I clock for that mile? And just to get a, a read of really what I'm running pace wise. But then I would also look 10 seconds later, 15 seconds later, when I actually pass the mile marker on course, which is going to be more accurate to where the finish is. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I looked at my, my watch at the mile 25 marker and, and tried to do math and, um, and it, it didn't look good for me and was trying to do everything I could in that last mile to, to keep it and to, um, to make it. Um, but it, it, from what I understood, I, I was not doing it. Um, so then my watch beeped for a 26 and it read 540, which is, you know, that was kind of like, oh man that was slow and well off pace. And I think I just lost too much time in that mile. Um, and it was maybe 20 seconds later that I actually passed the 26 mile marker. Um, and that's when I looked down at my watch and was surprised to see 217 flat. And so, um, then you can, it's a lot easier to do the math. I know that I can run point two in, um, in less than two minutes. Um, it'd be very hard to run it in less than a minute and nearly impossible, um, uh, to go under 218, but I knew that I would run faster than two minutes to go under 219 for sure. So at the 26 mile marker, um, when I just had two blocks left, that was, that was when I knew that I had, I had actually done it. That's great. And what a feeling that must've been. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, it was really great, especially after thinking that I didn't do it for the last two miles. And <laughs> right. maybe some of that was because 
the guys I was running with at mile 22 that moved up the road are just running so much faster. So I'm perceiving that they're running at pace and I'm running too slow. But really, some of those guys really had a great last 10 and 5K and went under 217 and ran 217 mid. And, um, and then some other guys who had fallen off the group later were coming back to me and passing me. And so it's all kind of just perception of how you're doing. Um, so, um, so it, it was, it was very like negative feeling, even though I was still positively willing myself to do everything I could. Um, but that was a really good feeling and surprising even when I, when I saw that and to say like, I was, I was shocked that I, I knew I had done it. So, yeah. There you go. And you've improved year by year. Mm-hmm. The entire time you've you've really you know been full speed ahead with uh, mm-hmm. with the marathon. So what are the goals for 2018? Yeah, 2018. Uh, so now that's that's kind of a, a weight off my shoulders. Um, I don't have to think about giving myself as many chances as I can at a marathon before the trials anymore. You know, my my ticket's punched, and so. Um, it, it frees me up to go for a little bit more in a, a marathon. I mean, that was all I had. It's not like I held back by any means um, last month. But um, but if I feel like I'm in 214 shape to go for an A standard, um, then I am you know a little bit freed up to to do that. And that's kind of where my goal is fitness wise is to see if I can get into 214 shape before the trials and and hit an A standard. Um, And to do that this spring, I don't have to focus on a marathon and and I'm happy to not. And I've never really taken a full season to focus on 5K specific workouts, um, 10K specific workouts and really build um, a, a level of speed that I've never had before. And so hopefully that, um, that newfound speed is going to really show up when I move back to the longer distance and those faster paces will feel even more comfortable and they'll just be a little bit faster. So there you go. Well, I I'm rooting for you, Tyler. I really appreciate <laughs> Thanks, you coming man. on. Thank you so much. Um, before we get going, I want to ask you a couple quick questions like I sure. do for all the guests here mm-hmm. on the show. When you're mm-hmm. out for your run, are you going headphones or no headphones? Um, I, I, I go no headphones really, especially for workouts, um, because, um, for big races, you know, it's very frowned upon at my level to, um, to race in headphones and at the trials, it's not allowed. And so I'm always a no headphones during workouts, no headphones during race. Um, and, I started listening to really easy music on easy runs, especially when I'm really dragging down. But honestly, I, I haven't done that in a while. I've just, uh, I've just kind of got out the door and uh, I like to think a lot more than I like to listen to music. So, um, I don't rule it out for easy days if I really need it. Um, just a, an extra little push, but, um, but most, I would say 98% of the time I'm no headphones. Right. And, Kimberly has been very honest about how much you help her running and help with her, her training. So for you, what training advice that you give other people is the hardest for you to follow? Hmm. 
Oh man. Oh, that's tough. Um, I guess, oh, I don't know. That's a really good question. I've never been asked that at all. Um, maybe, um, it's easier for me to tell someone to, to back off when something is not feeling great. Um, and, um, and be more cautious, um, rather than aggressive. Um, and I, you know, I try to implement that for myself and, um, I was definitely, now that I'm thinking about it, that's definitely probably what I, um, I struggle at the most and not to say that I, I never take days off and I'm never, you know, I'm always pushing too much, but, um, but it's definitely easier for me to say like, you don't need to do a workout today to somebody else. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. Now, if you could only run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, which race would you choose? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very good. Um, well, seeing as how the Olympic trials and the Olympics only come around once every four years, I can't choose that one. A real race that anyone can run for sure, um, New York Marathon, is absolutely great. You know, it's um, it's not the flattest and the fastest course. I did run a huge PR there um, back when I ran it. Um, but the crowd is like nothing else. Um, and the, the feel of the race is just so excellent. Um, I've run plenty of big marathons, other majors, Boston and London and Berlin. And to me, that one just has such a unique feel and such a um, encouraging uh, spectator uh, presence is just, it's amazing. I was blown away by how great the spectators are and how well the races run. And so I, I would go back to New York before I went back to any other race. All right. And for you, on the other end of the spectrum, what is a bucket list race that you have that you have been so far unable to uh, to get to? Um, at one point, I, I definitely would say that I wanted to run all six majors. Um, Chicago is one of those. And so I, I think I would I would like to run Chicago um, one year. Um at this point, I, I've run a, a lot. Um, I could say the Olympic trials, I guess. <laughs> that yeah, there you go. Now that I um, will be running in that, so um, the Olympic trials is is the biggest bucket list race that I've that I've had, and obviously, you know, it takes a lot of work to to get there. And so, um, yeah, that one's uh, that one's the one for sure. All right, last question. Before we get going, um, you have your own website. Is it it's, uh, thecarboload.com? You got yes. a blog on there. Mm-hmm. Your, uh, your, your backstory is on there as well. Um, mm-hmm. On Instagram, you're at Tunderface, T-U-N-D-E-R-F-A-C-E. And mm-hmm. last one, Tyler, if you have, uh, I guess not if you have, who is your dream running partner? My dream running partner. Dead or alive? I'll, I'll give you, you. You know, they could. Uh, you, you could raise someone up if you have to. Um, I've always liked running with my dad, um, so I've done plenty of runs with him. Um, but he's still definitely my favorite person to talk to when I'm running, and um, he doesn't run anymore. But 
um, even when he could ride the bike next to me. Um, at this point, I, it's still my definitely my very favorite. I choose any run with him before I chose to uh, to run with anybody else. So. That's great. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with it. I really appreciate it, and good luck in 2018. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.